Colleagues, welcome back to the office and welcome to our podcast for today. Uh, my name is Steve Yoss. I will be your instructor and presenter, and I am joined today uh, by Andrew Argue from uh, the Corfi Company uh, to discuss some of the challenges and planning with respect to our firms and how we can offer and provide better services to our clients in tax and firm administration. Morning, Andrew. How are you today? Steve, doing great. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming. Well, Andrew, we've got an action-packed hour planned here where we're going to go ahead and discuss some of the major features and functions of Corvi and how it can fit into a firm's technology stack. Uh, what I'd like to talk about with you today is really kind of exploring what it means to use this inside of a firm and, uh, you know, really kind of what is tax planning, how is tax planning occurring in today's environment. It just seems, Andrew, that, you know, there's so many different options from, you know, what forms to file, how to conduct it, you know, what do I do as an S-Corp, do I do as an LLC? I mean, it just seems that the the tax options and the laws and legislation around this are just constantly expanding, man. So I really want to get a good insight on how you guys are are doing this for your organization and for our for our clients these days. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the benefits of this and why not only is it in the benefit of the client in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of uh, finding better strategies to assist with uh, whatever their goals are. I mean, it's not just always minimization of tax, right? I mean, there's other benefits, it seems, to, to tax planning to consider as well, and uh, what might those be to the organization. Uh, and then I think we want, really want to kind of talk about uh, some of the different ways that we can utilize Corvi inside of our practice and what it looks like to actually, uh, beyond tax planning, I know uh, there's some options with respect to uh, uh, firm administration, document management, portal solutions, payment solutions, and more. And so I'm really excited to uh, explore this with you and learning firsthand from you specifically on, on where and how Corvi is benefiting uh, uh, clients today. And let me just ask you real quick, is there any specific uh, things that you'd like to share with our audience? Any Anything in particular you'd like to highlight? I think all of this looks great. Perfect. Excellent. Well, let me give my guest here a little bit more of an introduction. We'll do a couple of compliance things and let's just go ahead and uh, dive into it. And for those of you who are watching live with us, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or joined here with Zoom, uh, I'd love to know if there's anything in particular you'd like to ask the man himself, the myth, the man, the legend. So if you wouldn't mind, if you have any specific learning expectations for today, feel free to open up the chat pod, shoot us a message, let us know what you're interested in, and uh, we'd be happy to address it. Now, again, my guest today is Andrew Argue. He's the co-founder and president of Corvi. Uh, prior to working with Corvi, he had a long and storied history uh, working with other entrepreneurial efforts, including uh, his uh, blog, The Bean Counter, which uh, was a, uh, help me out here, I think it was a tool and, and a website primarily to help uh, young accountants kind of learn the profession and trade and, you know, kind of learn a little bit about uh, what it means to be a CPA, right? Exactly, yep. Oh, man. You know, there's so much. I grew up in an accounting practice. My dad's a CPA, so I kind of knew what I was getting into ahead of time. But, uh, you know, there's so much that's not taught in class, you know, about the profession, especially in things like assurance, you know, where, you know, you got to learn from other people. So that was pretty cool uh, that you had that. And then also countingtax.com, which eventually uh, became Corby, which we'll talk about here. And I know prior to this, you worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers as an, an insurance and an auditing. Very, very cool. And uh, I mean, amazingly, your, your, your background here, you know, being part of the various different lists, uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, with respect to the accounting today, top lists and, and others. And I think you hail from Florida, right? Great state of yep. Florida, the sunshine, sunshine state. Originally from Oklahoma, but yes, I live in Florida. 
All right. All right. And I think you went to the University of Tampa, if I remember reading that correctly, yep, right? Correct. Both uh, undergraduate and graduate. Yep. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming. And uh, we're going to get started here just in a second. Now, for those of you who are watching live, just as a reminder, if you're watching on Zoom, you are attending live. We're going to go ahead and have some attendance prompts to verify your attendance. Uh, there'll be a total of four. Why don't we go ahead and test that out right now, make sure that works for you. And if you are attending after the fact, if you're watching this for self-study credit, uh, please note that we're going to confirm your attendance through um, uh, through a short exam that you'll complete at the uh, conclusion of watching or listening to this. And uh, if you're watching as a podcast, you know, please remember that you can earn a credit. We're giving this away as a free credit today. Uh, if you check out cpetoday.com and just search for Corby, uh, you'll find our class and uh, you'll be able to uh, complete this as a self-study class and earn a credit for watching or listening. And if you're a new watcher or listener to the podcast, besides this, why don't you try out another podcast of your choosing um, 100% for free. You can use one free podcast at checkout to get a credit of your choice, whatever class you'd like. And we've got a couple other classes coming up here on Corby. So maybe you want to check that out. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and dive into this, Andrew. And, uh, you know, I've got just some, some questions here. And, and again, please feel free to kind of uh, uh, lead in with whatever you think might be interested here. And I'd really like to start off a little bit more getting a, a sense of you. And, you know, I'd love to know a little bit about your experience prior to starting Corby. I know you had other entrepreneurial efforts like the bean counter and accounting, accountingtax.com a decade ago. You know, you worked as an auditor for PwC. And, and like me, I'm not in public accounting anymore. It seems like a lifetime ago. You know, how did some of those uh, experiences help you with Corby? I mean, I've got to assume you picked up some some thoughts and some uh, some experiences that maybe help hone and shape your vision for the application we know today. But you know, maybe maybe share with us some of the 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 motivation, I guess, for for this application. Yeah, I think you know when I look back at my journey, I've always done things in accounting with accounting and with you know uh, the industry that is tax and accounting firms, and you know, really. Uh, the journey to start what is today Core V kind of started when my wife and I had our very first small business. So we had our own business and, um, you know, we had our own tax preparer because I was, I was a CPA, but I was from more of an auditing background. And, you know, we had somebody else who was preparing our taxes. My wife's also a CPA. So we had a CPA preparing yeah. our taxes. I was a CPA. And he was doing that for a couple of years for us. And then I had, you know, so one of my friends who said, hey, you got to, you know, check in with this guy. He does, you know, a little bit of, you know, uh, this thing called tax planning. And I didn't really know what that was at that point, but it kind of made sense. You kind of get it. You think you know what it is from yeah. your mind. And I was like, well, I already have a guy doing my taxes, but I'll meet this other guy. And, you know, after, uh, you know, just a few minutes, he was able to find a number of things that we were missing with our current provider. And it was sort of like a joke at the time, like how many CPAs do you need in a room to like, you know, uh, file a, a sort of a basic return. But he made a couple of quick recommendations. And, in that moment, I, you know, we ended up saving, I think at the time, it wasn't that much, maybe 16 or $17,000. Uh, but it was just a few strategies, a few things that we were missing that we really should have been doing for, you know, the, the year or so before that. And this is when we just started, we had a really small business. And it, that was kind of my first awakening, like, huh, like, even if you think you have somebody who's doing the right things for you, you might not. And That's nothing true. really happened at that point in terms of we didn't start a business about this. We didn't start Corby. What is Corby tax planning today? But that always sort of stuck in my head. 
And over the years, we worked with tax and accounting firms in a variety of areas, largely before Core V, we worked with them on practice development. So helping them get clients, helping them with marketing and sales. And, um, you know, we've worked with a little over 10,000 different tax and accounting professionals at firms and looking to start their own firms. And so we've had a lot of experience. And when I was working with the firms in that, you know, over the years, I started to realize that that one accountant that I had that was preparing my return wasn't kind of unique. It was, in fact, most of the firms that I came across, you know, kind of were not spending that much time with their tax clients, not doing anything before the year was over. And if you were to sit down with a tax professional and look at their firm and you were to say, all right, you've got, you know, 200 business returns, you've got 400 individual returns. If you were to go return by return and take the time to do that, you would find that the vast majority of these clients are overpaying. In some cases, because they're just, you know, missing things that should be in the return. In other cases, it's because they're not really educating the taxpayer about all the things they should be doing. And you know, you know, when we kind of started to realize that we said, Hey, you know, what would be a great way to fix this? Like, what would be the ideal way to do it? And that's really what has come down into becoming Corby today, which I know we'll talk a little bit about. And it really helps, you know, a tax professional tax advisor is what we call them, which is mostly tax and accounting firm owners and team members, uh, some financial advisors, some tax attorneys, when they sit down with a, a, a taxpayer, really trying to figure out what are all the things that we can do to improve their tax situation. Not just what I know. I might know five or six things in my head that I might have learned. Yeah. Or picked up along the way. But today we have a little over 1700 strategies, the federal level across all 50 States on a variety of categories. And so on average, you know, when they sit down, when a tax advisor sits down, they think they can save their clients. You know, we run this test with hundreds of firms, say bring a business owner on average, they think they could save about 20,000, but when they go through and they use Corby, they end up finding almost $70,000 in savings. So about triple what they think, a little more than triple what they, what they think they can save their client. And so that really is the value proposition is to kind of get them more in line with the value that uh, the taxpayers actually already think they're getting. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, and I, I think even uh, 17,000 bucks, I mean, that's a nice chunk of change that you could spend elsewhere. I mean, and I've always thought about with respect to tax saving, that money goes straight to the bottom line. I mean, it was a, it's found money. I, I, I was going to spend it anyway. And now I get to, to recover that and be able to, you know, either buy something uh, for the business to expand operations or at least keep the profits inside. Right. Not pay uncle Sam. Right. Well, I think, you know, if, if you look at it, you know, most small businesses in the United States make 10 to 20% margin. If you just take 10, yeah. just make it really uh, easy math whatever amount a tax advisor helps their taxpayer save, let's say it's $10,000, that's the equivalent of $100,000 in revenues almost, because exactly to your point, yeah. it's sort of post-tax saving. So it's, 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 you know, if somebody were to go to a small business and say, hey, I could save you $100,000 in taxes, they're really saying, hey, I can help you make an extra million dollars in revenues, which would be the same, you know, in terms of the value proposition. Mm-hmm. We don't always think of it that way, but that is true. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. I mean, like net income is a lot harder to earn than revenue, you, you know? So, you know, if you could find a way of either decreasing costs or increasing revenue, that will directly lead you more profits. And this is a way of decreasing that huge cost. So you're making more money with less resources. Yeah, it's that old saying, it's not about how much you make, it's how much you keep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, kind of looking at at the, the tax world these days, I mean, it's gigantic. I mean, I... I 
to your point a minute ago where you were saying, you know, like I'd, I'd heard about tax plan, didn't really know that much about it. I mean, I think from the outside looking in, the public use accounting kind of like medicine in the sense that like, oh, you're a doctor. You obviously know everything from plastic surgery to uh, ear, nose and throat and, you know, about everything in between. It's like, well, no, we all have kind of have our specialty. My specialty has always been in accounting information systems and, you know, building software. I know you worked in audit, you know, there's a huge degree of nuance but tax is so fragmented. I mean, you got 50 jurisdictions just in the states plus the territories. And then on top of that, you got federal tax, which is complicated. And then you got several different types of attack from the state to income to sales tax to payroll taxes, which is like a whole nother, you know, uh, ball of uh, wax that I don't even care to get into. I, I personally, I have no interest in, in payroll. It's just so complicated now. Um, you know, kind of speaking to this, I mean, we got Title 26 here where the IRS laws primarily live and the rules and regulation. I mean, it's almost 7,000 pages long. I mean, how is anybody expected to, to know this, you know, and be able to effectively find those little nuggets of wisdom, um, you know, that can save the client tremendous amount of money, you know? Um, you know, it seems like there's lots and lots of different strategies that, that could be pursued. Uh, from your perspective, I mean, like when you were starting to build Corby, how did you I guess, come to figure out, you know, the 1700 strategies that you guys have, have built. And I mean, what are you doing today to kind of keep on top of with respect to the changes in the legislation? I got to imagine you got to have a full-time yeah. legislative team just keeping track of everything. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of people on the team that are just focused on the strategies and uh, all of the different changes that come out. I think, you know, when we first started, we, we had a great community of tax and accounting professionals. And so, we had an event actually back in 2018, and it was called the Tax Planning Bootcamp. And we brought down a couple hundred tax professionals down to Florida for a three-day event. And we brought a bunch of them up on stage to present sort of what were the real tax strategies that they were used to using. And so we had them all present, and we kind of left that event with a handful of tax strategies. And that was kind of when we, how we originally you know, realized, okay, these are all the different ways that tax and accounting professionals and financial advisors and tax attorneys are making recommendations. Um, and so that was kind of the initial starting point, but then we started to take a step back and think, okay, so these are some of the common ones, some of the ones that these individuals that we're presenting happen to know, but we started looking at, okay, the federal level, you know, all of the different states and really started starting to define like, what is a strategy? What, what does it yeah. mean to be a strategy? And today we estimate there's a little over 20,000 strategies that are out there. It's not really something that we will know until we get there, because obviously things are changing every day in every jurisdiction. But we estimate that if, uh, if you know, when we complete, uh, you know, about 20,000 strategies, we're at about 1,700 today we'll be covering probably about 90, 95% of the savings and the value that a taxpayer is owed. And the way that we look at it is all of these politicians that have passed these laws in all these jurisdictions, mm -hmm. they've passed them because they want the taxpayers to have access to these particular benefits. They say, hey, you owe this money in taxes. However, if you're willing to take these activities, then you don't have to pay tax on these particular funds and so forth. And so they're trying to incentivize a variety of different behaviors. And so the challenge is it's so complicated and most tax professionals are just have the best heart. However, the tools that they have and the technology that they have don't really give them the ability to make these kinds of recommendations. And the companies out there that do, you know, tax software and provide tools for tax preparation and even tax planning, 
there's some great companies as well, but it's a very challenging problem. You know, it's a very difficult problem to, you know, how to understand, okay, how do we apply all these strategies to all of these different taxpayers? They, they might just be an individual. They might have a business. They might have schedules. Some of these might work for last year. Some might work for this year, next year. And so it's a very difficult thing and no one has really tackled it. And, you know, for us, we are really uh, still just at the beginning, but, you know, the key thing that we think about is for a tax advisor, the the standard can't be that, uh, you know, they give a perfect set of recommendations every time because it's almost just not possible. I mean, some people are so obscure or so small and there's so many clients out there they can't, but the real thing is, is, you know, can they give better recommendations than anyone else that that taxpayer could find? And when somebody comes and use core, uses core V, that is the case just over and over and over again. You know, we don't find every single opportunity that the taxpayer can because we're not there yet. And it's a very challenging problem. They can find dramatically more in savings and recommendations than they ever could on their own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's impossible to know every single possible in and out. You know, I mean, there's experts who work with like, let's say farmers, for example. I mean, I don't know all the farming tax credits and all the you know, you know, I've, I've even found like there's weird stuff like in the tax treaties between like USA and Canada, you know, that can sometimes be very beneficial to a client to know. But, uh, you know, to kind of have, you know, it feels like Corby can be like the eyes and ears for that practitioner, you know, they're, they're AI, essentially, in some ways to be able to do simulations to figure out what strategy will ultimately yield the best benefit to the client with whatever that might be. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. I mean, so we last year just had coverage at the federal level. This year, we released all 50 U.S. states. There's many other jurisdictions, though. There's about 270 different countries and jurisdictions in the world. And so when you look at that, um, you know, each of those countries has their own rules and and laws and regulations. And then to your point, there's also the interconnections between them, right? Um, So, you know, there's a lot more to do. And so even if you look at it, just in the United States, we have, you know, only a percentage of the strategies and the forms that are covered today. And then if you look at the world, obviously, there's so much more opportunity there. And no one's really done a great job with that either doing multiple country, uh, you know, tax preparation and compliance or tax planning. And so, that's definitely something that we plan to do over the long term. Sure, sure. I, I, I'm reminded, I'm sure you've heard this, the double Irish with the Dutch sandwich, you know, as a tax strategy. And you start thinking about this and you're like, how did anybody figure this out? You know, like multi-country, multi-jurisdiction and, and you know, being able to, you know, essentially just move paper really, you know, from one state to the other, but it could yield dramatic tax savings, you know, to these organizations. Yeah, it might cost you, you know, if you're a Google or an Apple, a couple million to get set up. But I mean, the potential upside is tens of millions in tax savings as well. Yeah. Well, and it depends on what the particular strategy is. I mean, sometimes you have a situation exactly like you mentioned, where, okay, this taxpayer, it is just a little bit of paperwork for them. And a lot of times you see that because they're actually already acting in a manner in which they're qualified for a particular strategy. I mean, a great example of that is like a research and development tax credit. It's like, hey, your business is already just because of the nature of the business investing in research and development. You just never heard of this credit. All we have to do is just share up the paperwork and you're already qualified. You're already acting that way. Um, However, there are, you know, many different things where they actually do have to sort of substantively change their facts and circumstances in order to qualify for particular things. And so that's always the thing, too, when you're a tax advisor giving a recommendation. Is this something where, you know, you don't need to change anything. We just need to like sure up the documentation. 
Or is this something where, you know, you do have to change your business and your life circumstances? And then are you willing to do that? You know, what's involved in that? What are the different steps for implementation, the documentation requirements? And, you know, that's, that's where it gets for a lot of tax advisors, even too complicated. They just kind of, okay, I don't know if I want to really get into all this because I don't know really what are the steps for implementation. And then they get worried about giving the recommendation. And so, um, but the truth of the matter is no matter which one it is, most of these taxpayers want to know and then make a decision based on, you know, uh, the amount that they could potentially save and then the different steps that they would have to take to get that savings. Sure, sure. I can totally appreciate that. And it feels like with some of these, especially the, some of the more complicated ones, anything involving like international stuff, which I know is very high end for the most part, but even things is like, you know, the differences between incorporating in Delaware versus incorporating in California or Florida, um, you know, or even now, I mean, especially with the uh, uh, Wayfair versus South Dakota Supreme Court ruling, you know, some of these economic nexuses that can arrive. I mean, at some point, it feels like you almost need to have a law degree now you know, as a CPA to be able to answer some of these questions. I've, you know, I, I don't mind answering simple questions for people, but then some of these things, they get so very specific about, and it's not just about what's written, it's about how you interpret the writing of that right. law as well. well it makes it really difficult to know as a practitioner, everything. Right. Yeah. And it is an interesting space because, you know, a lot of people in the United States think that you have to be a CPA in order to do taxes. However, it's kind of a unique category of sort of law and regulation because because the government is imposing these taxes uh, onto taxpayers that gives the taxpayers certain rights that they are kind of going to be able to have, at least in our society as it is today. And so because of that, uh, they have trouble really fully requiring people to take certain exams and so forth to be able to be tax preparers and to give advice on taxes. So um, it is something where, yeah, I mean, really, even though you feel like you need to be a lawyer, the reality of it is anyone can prepare taxes. Anybody can get a P-10 and become a tax preparer and start giving tax advice. I mean, they've got to be careful when they get into that and they've got to go through a process to learn and so forth. But even though you, it feels like you should be a lawyer, you really don't have to be at all. In fact, you don't even have to have a college degree, truth yep. truth told. Um, you know, really anybody can do it. And that's, it's the interesting part because taxpayers have those kind of rights as opposed to many other types of law. Yep, yeah, I, I can appreciate that. And personally, I think there's a big difference between somebody could slap some numbers on a 1040 easy and like what you're doing here in terms of advising businesses and uh, individuals with respect to, uh, you know, long-term strategy. I mean, you really, it's a growth value opportunity for the practitioner to consider implementing this. Yeah. And you'd be surprised as well. I mean, you know, there's a difference, there's different kind of ways that I see a lot of the tax advisors doing tax planning today. If you look at it, I mean, even just learning a couple of basic strategies, you know, half a dozen strategies and being able to give those to business owners, that can actually be simpler than, you know, being a tax preparer and, you know, doing tax preparation, because some of these things, they're not that difficult to understand. Once you start to say, you know, I don't want to just do the three to five basic ones. I want to do like everything that applies to my clients. You're hundred percent right. That's where it gets quite, you know, you've got to really commit to it as a career and as a profession. And then you've got to make sure that you're charging the right amount. You're also hiring the right type of people that can deliver that alongside you and then have the right type of sophistication uh, to be able to deliver those types of services. But, you know, to get started, it can be very uh, simple and even simpler than, you know, committing to doing tax preparation in some instances. And so it's a great way to get into tax because you're providing a lot more value. It's a simpler, you know, case. And then obviously over time, as you go more and more, it gets increasingly complex. Sure, sure. 
Well, I think it's a good time to have a review question here for our uh, folks that are watching live and then also for uh, our self-study audience as well. Um, we have to do these for our NASBOR compliance here. And so a uh, quick review question, then we'll continue our conversation here with Andrew. How many pages are in the Internal Revenue Code? Okay, if you were to go look this up. And uh, we've got a couple of different answers here. It's not 2256, it's not 4357. Thankfully, it's not 687010. You know, I think, uh, unfortunately, it's a, it seems like an enormous, probably longer, it feels longer than that, but uh, the IRS code is 6,871 pages. And thankfully, uh, Corvi's here to learn that so you don't have to. Uh, your other answers here, uh, unfortunately, either too short or too long. The correct answer is 6,871 pages, and it seems like it gets a couple hundred pages longer every single year, Andrew. Yeah, well, it was interesting that you guys had that question and had that number because it's something that we've kind of looked up a number of times, but it's very difficult to know because it's also not just the IRS oh, yeah. uh, you know, code. There's so many other different you know, publications, and then there's also all of the states, and so uh, we've looked into that number a variety of times, um, and then it's also ever-changing, right? So it is it is almost an unknowable uh, number in a way. I, I don't, you know, it, and it's it's something that is interesting just in terms of the way you define it. I know, I know. And I mean, that's just the USC code. That's just in the federal uh, federal level. I mean, that doesn't include every other state jurisdiction. And then on top of that, you got obviously all the specific stuff, you know, for state taxes, payroll taxes, so on and so forth. Um yeah, I mean, it, it's really difficult. I can tell you, I track, for example, legislation. I've got a, several different tools that we use to track like CPE legislation and accounting rules legislation for ethics and things of this nature. And I mean, even, even at the practitioner level, the laws guiding the practitioner, I mean, they're constantly changing too, let alone the tax legislation. So yeah, you definitely have your, thankfully you're doing the heavy lifting so the practitioner does not have to. So, you know, kind of looking at this a little bit further, you know, Corby plan in the long game here, you know, in terms of uh, kind of putting that client setting him up in the best position possible. I've always felt that, you know, um, planning is, you know, and I've got a quote a little bit later on from Ben Franklin here, you know, that uh, failure to plan is a plan to fail, you know, and that with Corby, it's about setting that client up for that long game, you know, setting them up for success here, you know, and looking at this, you know, you can have several different strategies. Some are complementary, some obviously, if you go this way, you can't go that way, you can't be both a C Corp and LLC at the same time, you know, but like maybe choosing the jurisdiction in terms of where you incorporate or form your partnership, you know, some of these strategies. Are, are time sensitive and, and some, you know, require, as you mentioned, some actual changes with respect to the actual business itself, you know, whether it be, you know, something as simple as filing new forms or actually changing the method and manner in that that company operates. Uh, I guess got to ask, you know, for your software, being able to analyze all these different strategies, I mean, are, what are you guys using from a tech side of this? Is it like artificial intelligence, machine learning, something else? Uh, yeah. I've got to assume you've got an army of people that are really kind of analyzing this at, at both the state and federal level. Uh, you know, as the as the uh, the wizard behind the the curtain here, maybe you can pull back and tell us a little bit about the tech. That well, I think what we yeah, what we originally started out thinking about um, is we we kind of sat down and we were like, okay, we, like I mentioned earlier, if you look at one of these firms and you look at their clients, they two hundred business returns, four hundred individual returns. And if you were to go back and look at the last 10 years mm -hmm. and you were to say, okay, you know, if these returns would have been filed perfectly, how much less tax would they have paid? 
And so we, we sort of thought about uh, the problem from that perspective. And so in order to do that, there's a variety of things that we had to do. So for example, when you think about tax, you have to look at the forms themselves. Yeah. And so we basically created a tool where we took all the forms from the federal and all the state level, not all of them, because there's actually about 20,000 in total, but we've taken hundreds and hundreds of forms and we're adding new forms all the time to be able to just figure out how much do does this particular taxpayer owe? And there's no way to do that without actually looking at the forms. And so we start with the form to figure out how much tax does the person owe. And then what we do is we apply the strategies to those forms and say, okay, well, if these strategies would have been applied or if they are applied in this particular year. And so one of the unique things about our organization is a lot of companies that develop software use, you know, uh, software engineers and those software engineers build the product and then the, the customers use the product. For us, we have engineers. Um, however, our engineers built a product so that our tax team uh, basically is able to create all of the forms and the strategies. And so, you know, our tax team is much larger than our engineering team, but both of them are actually a kind of software engineer and developer. And yeah, so yeah. Um, because of that, we've been able to cover so many strategies so quickly and so many forms so quickly. And what we'll do is we'll scan a form, bring that form in, figure out how much the taxpayer is in taxes, apply all the strategies for this year. In some cases, the prior year, we'll do the future year as well and figure out how much that taxpayer can uh, save. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about how we thought about approaching the problem and how we originally kind of uh, got into it. Sure, sure. It sounds a lot like function over form. Here's the output of what we want, and then we work back into the technology uh, to support it. Yeah, I think, you know, there's obviously a, an entire technology stack that we have that supports what we sure. deliver. But the main thing that we focus on for anybody watching this today is what is the real result and the real value that they get from that technology stack? And the real value is that when you sit down with a taxpayer, you know that, you know, you're going to be able to find two, three, four times more in tax savings than what you could find on your own in your mind or with spreadsheets. And that really is the value of what ends up coming sure. at the end of the meeting. Sure, sure. You know, one of the things I think is really cool with Corby is that it, in a lot of ways, democratizes the, the tax planning. You know, in a most firms, you know, even a smaller or mid-sized firm, you're going to have one or two guys that are savants, you know, as it relates to 1040 or 1065, 1120 type stuff. But, you know, your, your average staff preparer or even uh, other partners that matter, I mean, they might be the assurance partner or the consulting partner. They're not going to know, you know, every single in and out there. And there's only roughly eight to 10 hours if it's tax season, maybe 18 hours in a day that you can pursue. But uh, one of the things I think is pretty cool with Corby is that anybody in the firm can do this tax planning. It's not just having to be the partner or that one expert. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, generally what we see for firms that have, let's say, less than 50 team members, you're going to see a situation where the owners or the partners of the firm feel like in their head, they're sort of a genius when it comes to tax planning. And they kind of you know, the tax yeah. partners at least, and they, they feel like, you know, they know things and, you know, their team just can never pick it up. You know, a staff could never do this. A manager could never do this. However, if I were to look at it and I were to take a, a staff or a manager that's using Corby and I were to take a partner or an owner of a firm that isn't, you know, I would, and I would just say, okay, who could really get the better result for the client? I would bet on the staff or the manager paired with that technology to be able to find the best result for the client. And so what that really does to exactly your point is it allows that partner to 
start to get the rest of the team educated, start to get the rest of the team with the abilities to be able to provide a much higher level of service to the clients that before it just wasn't really possible. Because yeah, Yes, of course, if you're the owner, or you're the partner of the firm, you've been doing this for many years, you've done this with maybe five, seven, 10, 15, 20 times as many taxpayers as the people that are on your team. And so obviously, you're going to see a lot more. But when your team can start to use and pair their, you know, abilities with the technology, they can actually provide a better result than you can even with your experience. And so sometimes that's a little bit of an ego hit for people. But, you know, when you kind of get into it at the end of the day, the real thing here isn't that you're smarter than your team. In fact, you'd prefer if your team was smarter than you, then they could go out and serve clients. Taxpayers would prefer that too. So they can work with your team and they don't have to work with the owner. And so it's actually better for the business overall. Um, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I'm, you know, the best tax person, you know, since uh, existence, right, of, of, of taxes or something. But, you know, once you can kind of get over that and realize, like, you know, we're here to build a great firm, build a great business, have great team members and get the best result for our taxpayer clients, then it really is powerful to be able to exactly, as you said, get all that information into the hands of everybody at the firm. Sure, sure. You know, um, just to throw in a, another question here, kind of about your background too. It's something I thought that was really interesting. Uh, about a decade ago, you interviewed Tim Ryan at PricewaterhouseCoopers about leadership within the profession. And uh, I found the video and I watched it. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, and you guys, he talked about in that in that video, this idea of like the personal capital account and the importance of self-teaching. You remember that interview at all? When you when you, you know, it's that? funny. I I I I I do remember the interview because obviously Tim Ryan is the current CEO of Price mm-hmm. Warehouse Coopers today. He yep. wasn't the CEO at the time, but he was like the number two guy. And you know, I had quit that firm. It was like my first job ever out of yeah. college, yeah. first time job. And I quit that job, and I emailed him after I quit, like, "Hey, can I get an interview with this guy?" And I, you know, he was gracious enough to do it. And so I went to New York City and uh, I did have that interview. And now he's gone on to become the CEO of, of PricewaterhouseCoopers. You know, I'm going to have to go back and watch it, though, because to your point, it's been about 10 years. And I'm trying to remember, like, what in the world was all the content there? But, um, yeah, I'll have to go back and, and rewatch it. But I do remember having that interview with Tim. Well, so in in that, uh, he said, you know, kind of like in that, what I thought was really interesting, it was this idea of like the, the the personal capital account that you're always contributing to it by learning new skills, adding new value, and that you could leverage that capital account either to grow in your career or to grow in that client relationship, you know, and you're finding new ways to be able to engage. Um, you know, he talked about, for example, you know, um, pursuing new and exciting projects to learn new opportunities, you know, the idea of being a lifelong learner here. And, you know, 10 years later, it kind of feels like Corvey's fulfilling on that advice that he said, you know, by giving practitioners new ways to engage with their clients and learn new opportunities, um, you know, and, and really kind of, I think, provide newer services. I've always been of the position that, and a big reason why I left public accounting was I felt most of what I was going to do would be automated by the end of my career. You know, I didn't really want to kind of be stuck in a profession that, uh, frankly, AI was probably going to do most of it. You know, but with tax planning, and there was actually another report put out very recently that assurance and tax planning were the two things that AI did not, were not going to be replaced easily by AI in the, in the near future. You know, it really feels that what you're doing here is you're giving practitioners a new way to expand their opportunities and their new ways to be able to engage and grow that relationship yeah. with the client. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at it, our, the mission of our company is to empower smarter tax decisions. And, sure. you know, the way that we think about it is so many times those tax professionals are sitting there and they're giving an advice to a client, a piece of advice to a client, but it's really not the best piece of advice. And bless their heart, it's not their fault. A great example of that is, and you just see this time and time again with people that sure. they get super excited. They learn about some basic strategy, like you can, you know, 
you know, uh, basically register as an S corporation and you can save on self-employment tax. They get super excited. And then they don't realize that, oh, that client actually lives in Tennessee and there's this other type of tax there called like a franchise tax and an excise tax. And so actually that was like the bad recommendation there. And I now that client's paying even more in taxes before and they've got also more fees to me. They paid for this legal setup. Then we have to unwind this thing and they're pissed, right? And so I think, you know, the whole thing that we try to do is really just supercharge, you know, their mind so that they can, you know, keep away from those landmines, find more and more opportunities. And, and I, you know, I think of it almost like most people are just kind of giving advice, looking through a keyhole because they can't really see that's everything point. that's there. And it feels like you're trying to describe to the client what's in that room, but you can only see through the keyhole. And, you know, so if we can just widen their view a little bit and get them more and more and more of the room, maybe you never get that top left corner, or maybe you don't know everything, Uh but if you know more than anybody else and you know more than you did yesterday, then uh, yeah, you're going to have a place for quite some time. And I think, you know, that is not surprising to me that there is that report about audit and about, um, you know, uh, tax planning being less likely to be automated. I think, I think with tax planning and, and the problem of taxes overall, it, a lot of it comes down to when you're doing tax preparation and compliance, it's very, you know, much about just filing the returns based on what happened. Now, there's still problems there because a lot of things do get missed, especially for business owners. Yes. However, when you look at this area of, okay, what are all the things I could do? A lot of it's about decisions and thinking through different options and comparing the different ways I could organize my business, comparing the different ways I could organize my life. And it's not just about saving money in taxes. It might also be about asset protection. It might also be about retirement. It might also be about the way I support my family members or my children or my charities. And so there's a combination of decisions that you know most taxpayers need someone to bounce those ideas off of and to really make the best set of decisions. And it just so happens that, especially when they have a business, there's tremendous amount of savings. And so um, you know they can take a little bit of extra time to investigate what the best options are and do that with a professional advisor. Sure. Sure, sure. And I, I was I was looking here, I could send this to you. It was uh, McKinsey that did the uh, the study on this on accounting automation that kind of broke it down and in the different sectors there. But uh, tax is really kind of where uh, rubber meets the road in terms of automation, where it really doesn't just about, you know, like, I mean, bank rules or, or APIs where you can actually import a lot of this information. And, but it, and, you know, a lot of it can just be standardized because essentially there's only one way to do a W2 or a 1099 or importing into the system. But, you know, it really kind of requires that kind of global vision of not only just looking at the, the individual, but, you know, often it's the individual plus an entity of some sort, or maybe multiple entities, you know, that that individual might own or control. So, but uh, yeah, that's what they kind of went on and talked about with respect to automation. I thought that in, in terms of uh, finding new opportunities for a client, you know, where you could still engage, you know, it is really kind of in these, I think, where, you know, again, it requires more than just the ability to be able to put some numbers into the software and be able to use right. the software. You know, I, I can't play the cello, you know, but I can hand a cello or, uh, you know, over to Yo-Yo Ma and you get a beautiful, you know, beautiful sound. I mean, it's the same thing with Corby here. I think this is a great practitioner level tool. Well, I, I, yeah, I think right now, most taxpayers that own a business in the United States of America, they kind of see the results of their tax situation in their email. I mean, there's some people, there's many people that are using client portals and adopting that type of technology. However, many of them are just getting an email from their uh, tax preparer and they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. They can't see anything. They can't see, you know, what strategies that I take, what strategies that I miss. 
most taxpayers actually don't know how much tax they're paying. They might know their refund amount or how much they owe at the end of the year, but they don't really know how much tax they're paying, certainly not by different jurisdictions or by different types of tax. And so, yeah, there's just with the way the current problem is being solved between the tax advisors and the taxpayers, there's just a much better opportunity for transparency and making sure everybody knows what's available so they can make the best decision. Sure, sure. And, you know, to speak to what we have here up on the screen at the moment, I mean, taxpayers are unaware of all the different strategies. I've always found, uh, and again, kind of grew up in an accounting family and working with, so. I mean, one of the great things about working in public accounting, you get to see so many businesses from the inside out, you know, you get to see from the books up. And uh, I learned very early on doing some books for uh, restaurants that uh, as much as I love food and cooking, I didn't want to own a restaurant anytime soon, you know. Uh, likewise, you know, you get to see different managerial styles and accounting styles that work and don't, but, um, you know, we get to see a lot and then be able to take that experience and share it with other people. But taxpayers, I mean, if they're a restaurateur, they're, I mean, they're focused on owning a restaurant and running all the restaurant. They don't get to see and think about some of the big picture stuff. And I've always found that accounting is an afterthought for a lot of these people. It's something they don't like, they're not interested in. You know, if they're a restaurateur, they like cooking probably or being with people and maybe coming up with new recipes, but finding tax strategies or reducing, you know, they want the, the reduction in tax liability, but they don't want to do the, the legwork to really kind of find that themselves. And so it really does have to be the practitioner that kind of pulls all this together. I think it's kind of, a, you know, it's a unique problem because the taxpayers, some of them think they're not getting what they should be getting. However, I would say most taxpayers in the United States kind of have this idea that my tax person's pretty good. They got it handled. They're, 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 doing, they're doing it. And a lot of times they'll go out and tell their friends like, oh my gosh, my tax guy, Jim, yeah, the best Jim, ever. Yeah, yeah, is the best ever. And um, you know, I'm paying $700. You got to work with them too, or yeah, her yeah. too. And completely but, different circumstances, different everything. Right. Um, and, yeah. and that tax professional back there is actually kind of scared because they see this person out there kind of making these recommendations, but they know that they're not really kind of digging in. They're not really dealing with everything. The client's probably overpaying. And there's, it, it's a, it's an odd problem where there's a misconception that the taxpayers think the tax advisor's got it. The tax advisor kind of knows they don't have it. They feel guilty about that, even though it's not their fault. I mean, it's just that it's a very difficult problem. There's very bad tooling to be able to try and solve sure. the problem historically. And so that creates an interesting situation where the way that I think about it is, you know, how do you bring that in line where the taxpayer thinks their tax advisor is a genius and their tax advisor is a genius in the way that the taxpayer sure. thinks? So, and that's the real challenge. So it's it's like, if you can provide a more transparent view between the two parties, then the taxpayer can say, well, this is what I want. And oh, guess what? I can actually see that you're doing it. When I was at Pricewaterhouse, there was an old saying, you know, inspect what you expect. Um, and so if you expect that someone's doing something, just take a look at it. Sure. And the challenges right now is for the taxpayers, they can't inspect what they expect their tax advisor to be doing for them because it's too complicated, it's dark, it's happening in these tools that they don't have access to, they can't see. And so that is one of our goals is to make the relationship much more transparent so that the taxpayers can you know, hold accountable and also just really know who's a great uh, tax professional that's really solving this problem on the whole with them. Sure, sure. Your, uh, your, your tool reminds me of a tool that we use in our business. So my primary, besides being an instructor for K2, I'm a software developer and 
that's what we do. We make so code and software for other people. But you know, GitHub released this project called Copilot uh, about two years ago, and it's now widely available. That's AI powered code writing. You know, it doesn't replace the need for a programmer, but it makes the quality of the output of the program or the software that you're building less buggy works generally a lot faster and uh, helps reduce the time of creating software, you know, from maybe four hours to two hours, you know, cuts it in half in some instances. And it feels like with Corby, very similar for the practitioner. I don't have to be an expert in every single one of these. I got a co-pilot with me that's going to help navigate the way and get me from point A to point B. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and have another review question here. And uh, I'll take your, I'll get your take on this, Andrew, as well. Which of the following are reasons taxpayers do not implement a tax plan? I think there's a lot of reasons here. Uh, they do not understand strategy deadlines. I mean, absolutely. You know, I, I actually ran myself into that issue not too long ago, converting from a standard C to an S corporation, and uh, you know, just getting some of the partial year deadlines down so that I could uh, incorporate and uh, you know get that that election S process in time. Man, I, I mean, they were. When they say a deadline, they mean it, right? Uh, keeping good documentation for tax strategies, thats uh, I've always found taxpayers aren't really good at uh, that as well. Uh, they don't have time to implement their strategies. You know, certainly if they're a restaurateur or you know, a, a contractor, they're either building homes or in the kitchen. Uh, what do you think here? What do you think the correct answer is, Andrew? Hello? Well, I think the correct answer here would be uh, all of the above. Okay, it looks like Andrew might be uh, might be uh, might be uh, frozen here for a second. Hopefully, he'll come back here in a moment. But you know, thinking through this with respect to uh, uh, you know, kind of the general for uh, some of the general issues with respect to tax planning. Again, I've always found that practitioners are good at whatever their business is not necessarily good at all the other stuff, uh, whether it be the insurance, the legal, the banking, or certainly accounting and tax. Uh, I generally find uh, those to be the big issues with practitioners. Yeah, and I would say also, and I broke up a little bit there, but I got reconnected. No um, I, I would say that, you know, for most taxpayers, I think there's a lack of awareness that there's a problem um, because they they can't see that there's an issue. You know, if I give my tax information to my tax professional, they go off in some secret machine that I don't have access to and they make magic happen and then they spit out a little black and white document that they email me or send me in a client portal. Yeah. Even if I get that in a certain way, I don't know what I'm looking at. And so I kind of just assume that it's good. Even if I feel like it's not, I can't specifically call anything out. And so I think that's probably the biggest reason is that the taxpayers just aren't aware that there's a problem. And so they're not complaining sure. about it. You know, they're not pounding the table saying like, I want this to be better uh, because they, they don't, they might even feel it, but they don't know enough to be able to request that service from their provider. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've even found that there's so many different things, but it could even be the, the pushback of having to pay, let's say 500 bucks for a tax planning meeting in November. You know, they don't want to pay for that practitioner's time, even though it can save them potentially tens of thousands of dollars you know, later in the year, you know, because there's certain things you can't do after December 31st, you know, but if you met with your practitioner more than, you know, on March 10th, you know, when you're filing your 1040, you might be able to take advantage of some of these things. You know, and that kind of uh, leads me to uh, something I wanted to mention. I love the story of how entrepreneurs come to exist. I know, for example, like 
you know, you, you spoke of uh, how you went from not being able to buy a couch that you wanted for your home for 250 bucks to paying off uh, over a half a grand, a half a hundred grand, 50 grand in student debt in the, in the span of a year to starting Corby. I mean, that's a long way to come really kind of in a short time. And while I'm sure, you know, a lot of respects you did it the old fashioned way, feels that like Corby could really help a practitioner do the same thing today, you know, whether it be, you know, planning for the taxes or even kind of giving them a bigger perspective of uh, tax planning in general, you know, with respect to their, uh, to their clients. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of firms that have worked with us that are at the very beginning stages, even just getting started, or, you know, they maybe have like a little bit going on, but they just never been able to click with tax compliance. They, you know, have worked with just individuals, or they've had super low fees. And so we've had just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of firms that have worked with us that are literally just at the starting gates or, you know, tens of thousands or less sure. than a hundred thousand a year in sales that, you know, they, they, they're like, you know, I, I want to start a business this way. I don't want to have, you know, as much seasonality. I don't want to do just the compliance I want to help. And so um, it is, it is, it has been a tremendous way for some people to do it. It's very interesting to see some of these firms because, you know, we've got kind of two groups. You've got some firms out there that kind of transition from compliance to advisory. And then there's some firms that literally they only have advisory clients. And it's, it's really interesting to see the difference because they don't even know what it's like to be in one of these older style of firms because they're doing 2 million a year in sales. They're doing that with clients that are paying $8,000 a year, you know, $2,000 a quarter on a quarterly recurring basis, no standalone annual tax preparation clients for business or individual. And so, you know, there are, there's a whole new sort of breed of firms out there that uh, literally started this way and don't know anything else. Yeah. And that leads me to kind of something else I wanted to talk about here. You know, there's been a big push in the last, let's say 10 years or so. And I think really we've been doing this all along, but we now have words to define what they are for, you know, CAS, client accounting services and advisory, even tax advisory services. Now, um, how do you, how do you feel that Corby fits into this, you know, for that kind of firm of the future that are maybe wanting to pursue this, uh, either outside of compliance services or outside of traditional accounting, where, where do you see Corby fitting into this? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of firms out there provide what you call CAS client accounting services. We define that as having sort of four tiers of service, sub account management, monthly accounting controller and CFO services. And I know everybody kind of defines it slightly differently, but sure. you know, we kind of look at it that way. And you know, we look at that client accounting service relationship. Now, there's a variety of different types of people that provide those services, some of them from what they would call themselves a bookkeeper, you know, into an accountant or a controller or a chief financial officer. And there's all sorts of shades of those individuals. Um, you know, and some of those individuals are either already offering tax or want to be offering tax. And we help them offer what we call tax advisory services. And uh, we call it TAS, right? So if somebody mm -hmm. wants, what they can do is go to a client and offer a CAS plus TAS engagement. And it's actually ends up being all wrapped into one price for the client. You can build them on a monthly basis or a weekly basis. And then you're really solving all of the tax and accounting, you know, function for them based on the scope that you've agreed to. And what's really cool is, you know, a lot of times clients are paying $12,000, $24,000, $36,000 for a CAS engagement, for client accounting services. And when you come in, or even more than that, when you come in and you offer tasks, you know, many times you end up saving the client more than what they're paying sure. uh, for the tasks and for the cast. And so you end up saving them, let's say $75,000, but all in, maybe they're paying your firm $42,000. And so you're thinking like, goodness, how could I charge one client $42,000 a year? But the reality of it is they're saving $75,000. And if you sure. 
weren't adding in that tax component, then for that taxpayer, right, on their P&L, right, their cash at the end of the year, they're going to have, you know, a bill to you for, let's say, $36,000. They're also going to have what they don't know is an overpayment of $75,000 in taxes. And so once you kind of add that in, it ends up making the entire situation much more economical for the taxpayer, and they end up being able to pay a much higher fee for all the services. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've always been a proponent of value-based billing, you know, just because I can do a tax return and, you know, let's say it's an easy 1040 and I can do it in 10 minutes, you know, I shouldn't have to only charge 50 bucks for that. I could still charge 300. I mean, you're paying for that 10 minutes, but you're also paying for the, you know, two decades of experience and the college education and everything else that goes into it. But I've always found the reluctance, you know, I found that a lot of practitioners, you know, especially small practitioners, small and mid firm, I'm not talking to, you know, the big four, you know, I, I don't think they have any problem billing, you know, but, you know, so much of it is, is based off of the price per form, and they're unwilling to, you know, charge, you know, really what the value they're adding to their clients is. And I view, you know, something like Corby, where you, you know, again, if you can demonstrate saving the client 50 grand, I mean, that's worth something above and beyond just the hours of your life that you spent putting those forms together for them. Yeah, well, and I always say, you know, when, when somebody comes in with that kind of worry or fear, I, I think the challenge is it's very sort of me focused, like I'm afraid of charging that and I'm afraid of changing and so forth. But I always just kind of focus on the taxpayer. And I'm just like, okay, what would the taxpayer want in an ideal situation, you know? And I think the answer is that if they could get the savings, that's the most important piece. And getting the savings is generally the most important. That's what's owed to them as a taxpayer. It's what, sure. the, you know, the politicians set up a variety of things that they may or may not be interested in. And so they're sort of owed the ability to take advantage of those based on the way that society is set up. And that's the most important thing. Now, what you end up charging for that, it's going to be on a spectrum, depending upon how you want to structure it and what you want to do. But what you end up finding is that the savings is so much more than what you thought in so many instances that if you charge, you know, if, if you're used to charging just for the one form, let's say charge industry average is like $800 for a, a business return, like an 1120S. And let's say you go into this situation and you end up charging them, you know, $4,000 a year to do that and to do a little bit of planning with them just on that one form. That seems like, oh my gosh, that's so high. But if they're saving, you know, 30,000 or 40,000, it does, it kind of just, the client doesn't really care. Like, in fact, they can kind of be grateful and happy and they're not paying attention to how much they more they paid you because they didn't pay you more in their mind, right? In their mind, they got the savings. Yes, you're charging in that example, another $3,300, but they saved another $40,000. And so they're, it's free. Yeah. You know, your, your increase of 3,300 to them feels free. It feels like it doesn't cost anything. What costed them something was paying the 700 and losing the 40,000. And so I always just think it's like, you know, you, you've got to be careful to focus on the client and what they want and what is in their mind more than your own mind and your fear of changing. Because once you do that, it, it becomes a lot easier. It doesn't mean that no one's going to say, hey, what's going on here? Why weren't you providing this? And that's the other kind of fear people get into. But the reality of it is, is that you know, you never promised you were doing tax planning. Most people did just promise, I'm doing tax preparation. I'm just filing the return. This is a new engagement. It's a different type of thing. I've learned from some of the best people in the world now. We're having a different conversation. We're going to solve this in a new way. And I estimate there is the 40000 in savings. And so there's a way to sort of approach those conversations without it getting all messy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's a new skill set for the new, for the new practitioner. You know, I think this is going to be a skill set that's going to take them into the next, uh, into this next decade, you know, and I, I feel like if we don't continue kind of walking up that value chain, 
you know, automation on the back end of this is if it's if you're building your business on simple 1040s and uh, simple business tax returns, you might find that uh, companies like Intuit, for the most part, and take that business away from you. You know, you got to find these higher value engagements. And I think a lot of that can come from tax planning, um, you know, where you're working maybe with less people, but you're you're earning more value per client than you were per, before. So I know, uh, you know, and I know we're getting towards the end of our time here, you know, Corby, I mean, you guys are working with over 1700 different tax strategies now, both at the federal and state level. Uh, I know that, uh, for example, you're also outside of the tax planning, you have a full firm administration uh, with document management and portal and uh, uh, as well as billing solutions and more, you know, maybe if you wouldn't mind just share us outside of the tax planning, if there's any thoughts you might have with respect to uh, the other services Corby is offering that are, you know, our listeners yeah. might find interesting. Well, one of the things that we discovered was when you, when you look at tax planning, one of the most difficult things is just getting the information from the client. Uh, you know, you get the return, you scan the return, but that's not the end. That's really just the beginning. Just because I can see your return and I can see how much you paid, I've got to get a lot of other information about what are the things that you did that maybe aren't in the return or what are the things that you'd be willing to do that aren't in the return because you didn't do them, but you would do them. And so you've got to ask a variety of additional questions. So outside of just tax planning uh, with Core V, you're able to do your entire client portal, all of your agreements, engagement letters, questionnaires, which we actually created a dynamic questionnaire that asked them yeah, for each entity different questions to be able to find all the savings opportunities. So for the 1040, for each of the schedules, for each of the incorporated entities, you know, and based on, okay, what type of business is, if it's a real estate business, we're going to ask different questions than if we're doing a, a law firm and so forth. And so it's going to whittle down just the things that matter to the client. But so we do that agreements, engagement letters, questionnaires, file requests, client payments. And so it makes it a lot easier to get all that information from the client and have one place where every single touch point with the client is there in the client portal. You can message them back and forth, sure. send them reminders for everything that they need to send. And so for doing quarterly recurring tax advisory services or one-time tax plans or annual tax preparation, it's a much better way to get all that information from the client. Yeah, it really feels like it's a one-stop shop with respect to firm administration and management of clients. I mean, just keeping track of all these different projects, the client, you know, where different stages of documentation are being required, you know, the approaches they want to take. It feels like I can do all of this under under uh, one roof with Corvi. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and have our final review question for the day. How many different strategies Corby currently use to build a tax plan? Is it 500, 1,000, 1,500, or is it over 1,700? Andrew, I'll leave it to you. What, what's the correct answer here? Yeah, it's a little over 1,700 strategies today, and um, you know, we're adding new ones all the time. And so uh, we'll see where we end up by the end of the year. Excellent. And so, you know, 500, 1,000, 1,500, uh, Certainly, we can do all of those, but we're actually going over 1,700 now. And uh, I think I read somewhere that you guys are planning expanding this to like 20,000, you know, in the in the coming years. That's how many we think there are. That okay. really, once you cover about 20,000 in the United States, that you're going to have the majority of the use cases. And so, I think that's really where uh, you know we think we, we think you know the way that we define what is a strategy. That's really where we think you can get to. Sure. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, our time is drawing to a close here. And uh, before we go, though, I do want to let uh, our listeners know, and uh, at a, as a offer from Corby to you, uh, please consider reaching out to them. They've got a special deal set up here for K2. Just let them know that you uh, listen to this. 
and they're offering $1,000 off their annual subscription, which is a tremendous value uh, to the practitioner. And, and from my perspective, I mean, with software like this, this is something I look at that's going to make me money, you know, as a, as a tax practitioner. This is going to be something that it's offering a new skill and ability and a new service that I could potentially offer my clients. And, uh, you know, with this uh, application, you know, you're going to find new ways to engage and hopefully be able to build your practice in a much more effective way than I think you would without this particular solution. Well, today we discussed a lot. We talked a lot about tax planning, the application. We learned a little bit more about Andrew and his background and, and where, where he was coming from uh, with uh, building of this particular solution and Corby, uh, as well as some of the big issues that face uh, the profession these days. You know, tax planning is not easy. You know, you either need to have an extreme amount of knowledge, uh, which is pretty difficult to acquire, uh, or you got to have somebody in your firm that has that, and that may or may not be an option. But I think, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I feel that Corby democracy democratizes this and, and makes tax planning available to practitioners of all sizes and all firms of all sizes as well. And so your small guy, you know, on Main Street can compete with a either a mid or a large level firm that has access to these people. You can do it all right inside of Corby. It's something that, that could bring uh, that years of knowledge and insight to uh, to the profession. And so as a reminder here, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, if you'd like to get some CPE credit for it, you certainly can. Head on over to cpetoday.com and go ahead and search Corby. Today's course code is Corby2. You'll take a short five-question quiz and you will earn a CPE credit for watching or listening. Uh, Andrew, I'll give you the last word, man. Is there anything in particular you'd like uh, folks to know about, uh, about Corby? Anything in, in particular on the horizon that you'd like to share for folks to maybe... Uh, come check this out. Yeah, well, Steve, I'd just like to say thank you for having us on today and kind of letting us talk a little bit about what we're doing and, you know, our mission of empowering smarter tax decisions. And if anybody has any questions, would love to show you a little bit more about what we do to help uh, tax professionals move from compliance to advisory services. And absolutely. the team was able to set up the discount. So would love to see everybody on the other side. Yeah, absolutely, folks. Please consider reaching out. Uh, they do some demos here. I know pretty regularly in their sales team and uh, uh, client success team are here to answer whatever questions you might have uh, in terms of uh, building this. And I've got to say, I, I love your YouTube channel. You guys have some great videos and walkthroughs and the support documentation, uh, even for, you know, uh, at all skill levels and knowledge levels, I feel like uh, are, are provided here and uh, you can you can take people from beginning all the way to the end and this is a great way of getting started and uh, pursuing some of these higher value engagements with your clients well folks thank you so much for your time and attention a big thank you to andrew and sarah on his team i uh, really appreciate uh, with respect to all of you coming uh, your cpe certificates will be emailed out to you if you're watching live if you're watching after the fact they'll be generated once you pass our exam andrew thank you so much sir i hope we have a chance to do this again and uh, for those of you who are watching, please stay tuned. We're going to have some other episodes here in the very near future, walking through Corvi on a hands-on. My good friend and colleague, Randy Johnston, uh, will be doing at least one, if not two episodes, uh, doing actual hands-on tax planning, giving you a sense of how this application works and functions. Andrew, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, sir. Thank you as well. Take care.